0: Sitcom geeks, I'm James Carey and this week and next time too we have an interview with the amazing Eric Chappell who is responsible for Rising Damp, Only When I Laugh, uh, Duty Free, The Bounder, Haggard, Home to Roost and Fiddlers 3. Most people will be satisfied with a quarter of his career but uh, he has uh, very kindly agreed to speak to me and here's how we got on. I'd love to start at the beginning because for you it for you, in a way, the beginning wasn't the beginning. These days, you've got lots of people in their 20s who were studying comedy and leaving university and doing master's degrees in screenwriting and, and things like that. That didn't exist even 20 years ago when I was starting out. But um, where, where it all began with the banana box, you were in your 30s as you were I mean, writing. I came that. late, I came so, late. Well, although, uh, clearly, there probably are some advantages with that. Uh, Are you glad that you maybe started a bit later? No, I'd have loved to have had the money earlier.
1: (laughs) But, you know, I would have liked to have started in the 20s when most scriptwriters do. But I was writing novels for the first... trying to write novels for the first few years of my writing life, very unsuccessfully. And then... um, It's one of those thoughts you had, you know. I was in the bath one day thinking, I'm not getting anywhere with this. I've had two novels rejected and take ages to write. Yeah. I thought, I know I'll write a play and it seemed so jokey and at the same time casual that it and it stuck with me, I thought, yeah, I'm doing something different. Mm. and I started to write a play, and it wasn't that good, but funnily enough, there was something about it that appealed to people who read it. you know, uh, my wife read it, and she usually went to sleep when she read my novels, you know, but I could see instantly that there was something about the dialogue that attracted her and then I sent this rather poor play off and the an agent loved it <laughs> He never got done but uh, he took me on yeah. and his enthusiasm helped me you know and when people say how how do you make it in the business and you say leave it to the script it just doesn't work like that i mean you've got to have somebody with enthusiasm and belief yeah. that really it's infectious, yeah. you know. If you can get that man or woman
0: to say this is great, somebody be eventually believes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's we often say that finding a producer or find someone who likes what you're trying to do, even though it's yeah. What and why did you, why did you decide to write a play rather than a TV script straight away or a movie? Or well, that? I come from a serious end. I mean, I
1: I didn't start as a scriptwriter, and most of the writers I know started writing gags and got the gags into sketches and the sketches into half hours Mm. and never ever wrote a play. It was too much, it was too long, too difficult. And uh, there's a lot of sort of um, demands made on anyone who wants to write a two hour play Mm. to continue that thrust through that energy and everything else is difficult.
0: And it's also a different, it's a different world as well, isn't it? Absolutely. Once you start to, there are producing theatres, and there are, there's a whole network, and it's different now to maybe how it was 50 years ago, but as a moderately successful sitcom writer myself, I wouldn't really know where to begin to get a play produced in a proper theatre, I don't have any contacts there, so it's... you know, you sort of have to work with the world that you're given, but you, went, to right. the, you went the play route. And you watch plays growing up? Is that something that uh, yes, I, I, you were a fan of? I, fa- I, I watched me? plays, and I,
1: when I, when I started, uh, as I say, I came from the serious side, a would be novelist. So obviously, the first thing I thought was a play. I never thought of sketches, uh, I didn't think of half hours even. And I wrote The Banana Box as a play to be done on the stage. Uh, although as I was doing it, I thought this would make television as well. You know, it does mm-hmm. cross your mind. And um, I was going to write plays and starve in a garret. That was my plan. But then I've got two small children and yeah. a wife. She went to work for me and went to, got a job. And mm-hmm. so I thought, yeah, so... Everybody thought I was bonkers, you know. I mean, quite frankly, you go to anybody and say, I'm going to give up whatever job you're doing, I'm mm. going to ride, they'll say, you're mad. And they won't say it to your face, but yeah. they'll say it to your wife, or yeah. the you you know. Or they'll
0: ask those questions, like, how's he doing, is he all right, <laughs> is everything?
1: I was a total surprise and shock. In the 70s, all my friends were starting their own businesses and going off on their own and doing their own thing. That was the great phrase, we're going to do our own thing. Every, every one of them failed but me, and I was the one that should have failed.
0: <laughs> yes, failure is certain. Yes, that's right. Once you and what? Why? Why did you? Why did you write the banana box? Um, in terms of what? what well, what, what, I these when you're a
1: writer, you, you have one or two good ideas, not many, but when you get them, you're going to go with them. I mean, that was my first uh, sort of discovery. I had. I saw this in the paper. It was about a black student who went to a hotel and pretended to be a prince and was very well treated. And the hotel was very sort of far back and very serious. And, and he would have hardly got through the door in those days. And he'd gone in and played the prince and had been treated royally. And I thought, what a great idea for a script. But it has to go through your, your own creative juices work on this. And of course, I didn't know good hotels in those days. So it became a, a, a lodging house and it became a seedy landlord and it all changed. But the basic idea was still there of a black student posing as a prince. Mm. And that's where it started from. And, I, you know, when you recognise a good idea, don't be put off, because it's so easy then <laughs> to start right there. Oh, yeah, it was a good idea, but it's not so good now. I've, I've been working on it for a few
0: weeks. If it was a good idea to start with, it's a good idea to finish with. And that's really... It's, it's interesting, isn't it? I'm obviously much more familiar with the sitcom where it hadn't occurred to me, starting out... That the Black Prince is a fraud. Um, well, no, well, I, I don't think I ever exposed him in the series. At the, the, the very
1: end was he not exposed, or was that in the movie? I think or... it was in the movie, okay. and I think it was also in the play. But uh, there was always mileage in it, and of course, the as sooner as you expose him, the less mileage there is. So yes. Yeah. I I I went off the idea of exposing him,
0: mm-hmm. and, uh... yeah, so, and but you were no, as you were watching it, you were always aware that. Um, that he was Philip was toying with Rigsby exactly and there was that mix of um, fact and fiction (laughs) yes and he was controlling him and yeah absolutely Rigsby had this sort of um fear but also attraction to that primitive thing appealed to him yes uh, yes it was yeah no it was amazing Um, did you uh did you know a Rigsby is is he based on anyone people always say this and of course I did uh, he's a, a, a
1: guy I worked with. Um, lovely man, and all the prejudices in the world, but, mm-hmm. are still a lovely man. And he he was. Uh, there weren't deep prejudices, but there mm-hmm. were He wouldn't trust any other nationality or, yeah. or whatever. And uh, he so he gave me all this bias. Which I found funny, and he was a nice man. It's hard to
0: say that he's a bigot, a nice man, yeah. Yeah. but he was. Well, nobody, think, no, nobody thinks they're the bad guy, do they? <laughs> everyone everyone <laughs> thinks that what they're saying is common sense. And yeah, and
1: wouldn't. so he was lovely, and also he had that strength and the things that came out of Rigsby as well. Mm. Of course, when you write a situation comedy, as you know, the character tends to become the actor becomes like the fictional character, and the fictional character becomes like the actor, so the actor starts to tell you what the the character's like, yeah. and Len was like that with me, you know. He could say things to me like, oh, no, he wouldn't say that, Eric. <laughs> I mean, it's it's
0: a metamorphosis, yeah. whatever the word is. It's a, and that's it, well, let's let's talk about that, because um, to what extent did you think that uh, Leonard was, was right or wrong about the character? Once he inhabited the character, were there times when you thought... No, he would say that, but I'm not going to argue the point. Now and again, he put
1: one or two of his own jokes in, which I didn't like. Right. I can live with most actors as long as they don't put their own jokes in. Right. But uh, and but he did, and of course, he, with a with the sort of power he'd got and the sort of um, performance, which was terrific. Don't yeah. you know, I always it's admire? Stunning, yeah. I mean, he was a great physical mover, mm. and um, there were things he did that you could just suggest, and he did them beautifully. Mm. And so you took the rest, yeah. or took whatever you didn't like, mm-hmm. with a lot. And towards the end it got very heavy, because Len was a heavy actor to work with, you know. I mean, he, he took no prisoners, and uh, he was demanding. And of course, he
0: spoke quickly. He was a Liverpudlian, and they do speak quickly. Yes, that's <laughs> so right. he, I mean, he yeah. crammed in more lines. Yes. <laughs> it's funny to think of him as a Liverpudlian, actually, because you don't think of him like that, even though now you mention it you can slightly hear it yeah i i could yeah but he's someone who's it feels like he he is a rigsby in the sense that he's someone who has bettered himself and doesn't want to doesn't want to go back to the land yeah. that he came from uh, yeah it's uh, yeah he was uh, very um
1: demanding and I it also made me smile, because actors would come on and say, I'm really looking forward to doing this show. It's really a terrific show. I thought, you haven't met him yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't had 20 minutes when he said... He, because he, he wants to get everything in. He would never cut anything right. when we felt we ought to cut this. Yeah. It just... Increases speed. Do it
0: faster. Yes. You <laughs> went into second, third, fourth, fifth. Well kid. that makes the editor's job a lot easier, at least, I suppose, doesn't it? If you can do a thirty-two-minute show. I in would, 20 yes, years. I would
1: I was writing more. Mm. In fact, I think Gardner Simpson wrote for him once and they'd never come in short,
0: ever, but they did with him. <laughs> Extraordinary. Were you were you still overwriting and and editing, or did you pretty much show I never what really shot... wrote. Uh, that's
1: one thing, and of course he didn't want it particularly, but I wrote and rewrote at the time, but mm. once the script was done, it became sacred text virtually. Right. I all the years I've been, I wrote for twenty years situation comedy. Mm. I did no cutting after, well, minor cuts, but I no rewrites yeah. after we got into the rehearsal room. Really? So you were just you would make the line work. It was like holy
0: written the Director. <laughs> well, that's quite. That's that's a uh, that. I mean, it's great that you were writing scripts that you could do that with. But when I worked in America, <laughs> I noticed that when things weren't
1: going well, they they rewrote. Mm. When we when in my rehearsal rooms, when things didn't go well, we rehearsed yeah. a bit more. Yeah. You know, the actors gave us more. You know? And
0: were you on set? Were you in rehearsals from beginning to end, or did you start off and then I, get on uh, with it and come back? No, wage, I was. Um, I didn't want to be too intrusive.
1: I, I came for the read-through obviously on the Sunday and usually it was or whatever and was there for the block, uh, the, there for the the walk, walk the blocking, of, for yeah, early blocking. Yeah. But yeah, uh, and that day was a very important to me. That's when I put my three penneth in mm. or whatever. And then I went away and came back on the Friday recording day and watched and said something like, no, oh, I never meant it to happen like mm. that or just now and again. Yeah. They usually got it right. And uh, then we watched it. Then I, w- I was at the dress, and then the the,
0: the mm-hmm. show itself. Yeah, and was it was was that a similar way in which you did further shows like you know home? To I Roast got a bit bossier those. towards the end and tended <laughs> to come for the for
1: the, the tech run yeah. on the Wednesday. Yeah, uh, I got more as you will go on. You don't. You get less confident. You don't get okay, more, and you know more concerned and more worried. You're like a. Tennis player that's played too long and starts to cheat.
0: <laughs> well, also you have a reputation to think of now, and you you Absolutely. don't want it to be. That's right. You're always worried that this is one's not going to work very well, and so I got a bit
1: more demanding, and
0: uh, and but you never you didn't waver from your policy of not rewriting once you no, started. No, that never happened.
1: I, I honestly say that, that. I mean, I know writers that wrote to rewrite. Mm. They'd send it in and then be ready with the typewriter to rewrite. Yeah. I never did. When it was done, it was done, and I didn't really
0: want to look at it much again. Right. Know. And therefore, I mean, it's interesting because I, I, I tend to um, never go back to stuff that I've done. I've done quite a lot of radio, and my kids are now starting to listen to it. They're nine and six or seven, and they're listening to episodes of Milton Jones that I wrote, um, must be 10 years ago, and they ask me about various bits and moments. And I have to say to them, girls, I honestly can't remember anything about this episode because I was there for the recording. Yeah. And then I left. And I, yeah. and I didn't hear it go out on the radio. No. I've not heard it since. Yeah. Um, because by the time we're actually recording it, I'm sick to death of it. I don't want to <laughs> ever hear it again. I don't watch my old shows now, although they're on the box. Sure.
1: Only because I, I would end up writing the same sort of things all over. You know, yeah. I just want to get, I don't want to be too saturated yeah. with these shows. It's not that I don't like them. I mm. think they do them well and I enjoy them when I do. Actually, watch them, but I, I I avoid them as much as possible because you can't go
0: back. You've yeah. got to keep going forward. Yeah. I think that is a struggle, isn't it? You you look, and also you'll you'll maybe watch a scene or a bit, and you just think, oh, I I never quite got that bit right or there's those irritations and I, and I can't. or even cha- changing one word for some I mean I
1: say I don't re-edit but now and again somebody comes up and says can I say this or that and I'll yeah. say yeah and then i will thought wish oh, I hadn't said that Yeah,
0: because it's never any better right that's interesting and I, I, going back to therefore um, it, it, Leonard Roster does famously have a tricky reputation but I mean he was an astonishing performer I remember at the time even at the time thinking if you were able to be Rigsby and um, Reggie Perry. Yeah, quite. Yeah. In the same way that Ronnie Barker was able yeah, to be good, Arkwright and Fletcher. Yeah, right. Um, most people only get to do it once. That's right. But the truly right. greats do it yeah. more than once. But you I mean you've worked with the likes of Leonard Rossiter, James Bolam, Peter Bowles, John Thor. I mean, this is a great old list of
1: yeah. of actors. Not naturally funny men in the sense all good actors. That's interesting. All good actors. We went for actors in those days. Now, one tends to look at stand-up comedians who actually have, you know, have hijacked comedy mm. because they do observational comedy, which is what we were doing. And we were doing them in more expensive, well, not more expensive because they're dear enough, but we were doing shows with actors and, com- and uh, the, the comedy was observational and, and real, mm. hopefully, yeah, based on real-life situations. Uh and in those days, lots of comics were almost like red nose comics. You know, yeah. they were sort of i told a few funny gags and went off, and they couldn't act. Yeah, most comics now can act and pretty well. Yeah, in fact, two of the best shows I think that I've seen was um, Lead Balloon with um, Jack D. Jack D. He was mm. a damn good actor, yeah, a yeah. good comedy actor, mm. and the man you've just mentioned, uh, Lee Mack. Lee Mack. Yeah, uh, he too. He's a good actor. In fact he's in something now, isn't he?
0: Uh, yes, he's in the sense. I don't think yeah. they're getting
1: the best of reviews because I don't think they did enough the writers I'm talking about mm. now did enough with it, but
0: Yeah. But in terms of um, but you're working with people who are commanding also very big audiences and oh, yes. you know, and so actually they're very even at the time John Thor was a very well known and Yeah, but John was going through a twilight period because he wasn't doing morse. Right at that
1: time, and he had just slightly. We got him, you know, yeah. quite easily, and he wouldn't. We wouldn't have done had he been doing more. Uh, uh, the, no. the, the high and other shows. Yeah. So it was that in between period for, for John. He was the nicest man I've ever worked with. Really? In, yeah.
0: It seems nice. like yes, that seems the least of all the people you've worked with you it seems like it's unlikely that he would be the nicest yeah, he because he he's on stage persona, as often worked with, yeah. very, Super very grumpy. Great. But so what, what, what do you think these guys, um, and also um, my writing partner, uh, sorry, not writing, but my podcast partner, Dave Cohen, uh, rightly points out how overlooked Keith Barron is as a fantastic comedy actor, which I know obviously you've worked with yeah. as well. But all of these comedy actors uh, or actors um, who do, who are doing your, who did your comedies, what do they tend to bring what do you think that they do well, that other people maybe don't do so well? Well, they do <laughs> i'm hard pressed because i I just think they're good actors mm-hmm.
1: and uh, uh for instance, uh, Keith had almost drifted away from work from the theater he'd taken a, a hotel I uh, know a restaurant down in the West country and was with his wife and friends, and they were doing that, and he'd drifted out of the business a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I asked for him. I asked for him because I knew he could play that part well. Right. the a diffident yes. lover who suddenly becomes involved in yeah. something else. Yes. And he, because I've seen him play it before.
0: Right.
1: And so I knew he'd play it well, and of
0: course he did. He was amazing. Um, yeah, no, GT3, um, which you're referring to, uh, was a really big family favourite for us. Yeah. Um, just Because also, that, that of all the things that, as well as... Um, uh, uh rising damp that feels very play like in terms of opening and closing doors and hiding in cupboards and those sorts of <laughs> yeah. things yeah, it had, it had far, a far seven, yes that's right there. yeah which is why yeah. you know which was delightful yeah. to watch yeah, yeah, it was it was, uh, it was it was that
1: sort of a piece uh, and gwen taylor a play of mine yeah okay so the play I usually wrote to play first right um, and that Gwen, you mentioned Gwen. Yeah,
0: wonderful, astonishing, really good, and still working and still very busy and. Yeah, well,
1: um, she did. The, we did a tour of duty free uh, the other year, and she was in it, of course. And I'd like her to do something else. I've, I've written a play that she loves, called um, What's It Called Now? I wrote, I've written so many plays. Uh, yes. Uh, come to me in a minute. Summer End. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's got to age up for that. Mm. And she doesn't mind. And she wants to play it. But it's very interesting. She wants to play it. I want to see it done. We can't get anybody interested. Or I couldn't, anyway. So uh, that seems it's, amazing. it's still hard work to get anything. I on.
0: mean, you're because to me, the uh, the sitcom is closer to a play, a rep play, really, than anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and now we've got much more of a movie tradition as well coming in with the single-camera comedies like Lead Balloon and those yeah. sorts of things. Um, so it seems to me that a play, being a playwright is a very obvious way into writing situation comedy. And yet, actually, it seems to be not that many people find their way in that. In well, that I, I'm, all I'm saying is the few scriptwriters I know didn't write plays. Mm. In fact,
1: even now, I can think mm. of Richard Harris, who wrote... Um, Outside Edge and those, yeah. and Stepping Out, is a good playwright. But he's one I can think of. that Most of the scriptwriters don't do it. Mm.
0: Probably it's too laborious for them or something. They the money's be... pretty bad as well, I would imagine. It? And the money's not very good. No, <laughs> if you're lucky. <laughs> Unless you... you have a huge hit that runs
1: for years. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you can do very well. Mm. But, uh, I mean, script writing is very well paid, uh, well was when I started. I was getting about equal to a, a, a top cameraman. <laughs> that was, I wasn't doing any better than a cameraman, and I had to write a lot to make any money. I was
0: writing two shows a year, you know. Well, if, let's go back to that, because even at the start, um, you, I, I, I hadn't quite realised until very recently how um, the, the Squirrels show... Um, was pretty much commissioned at the same time, So at the same time as, It was, yeah. In fact, Rising my Down. agent said
1: that... Uh, well, I said, suppose they both want to do both. I said, no, that never happens. So <laughs> that's always my policy, and I've not
0: been wrong so far. Um, <laughs> he said, no, that won't happen. And of course it did, and I was writing two shows a year and not getting out. <laughs> and what... So what was the genesis... So the, the, the Scrolls is a show which people don't remember so well, but ran for three series and was a... a well, no, the... the we made a huge mistake, we brought in
1: other writers. Right. Now I didn't have any great power in those, only authority, and they said to me, Eric, we like the idea, it's working well. We did seven, I did seven. Mm. We'll, we'll make it a massive show. You know, we'll bring in six or seven writers, we'll do a lot of shows like the Americans do. Mm. What they didn't realize was, in America, they're very talented writers. They could bring in very good writers to do mm. a series. And so then when they had a writers' room with about ten or fifteen very
0: talented writers,
1: mm. we hadn't got that. We hadn't got the background, so the scripts weren't that
0: good. Mm. weren't that good. And is that why you think it didn't run for more? It, than well, three yeah, series, it, it, it was. Didn't...
1: I did seven more. Yeah. And I was close. You see, the point was I was close to it. Mm. I could write them. The others came in as sort of volunteers, you know, and they came in and.
0: And they did their best, but they weren't close to the subject. Were you um, Were you involved in uh, in their scripts? Were you having final say no, on I, their scripts? I was or? referred
1: to as a script editor. I never saw them. But I did see some of the shows, and I thought they were appalling. Right.
0: <laughs> but that must be really hard to see something. Because also, to get a show on, I mean, even back then when there were more, more sitcoms on, but it's a really hard thing to get a show on, especially because it was almost your first yes, show. Probably. It was fact, difficult. chronologically, was it, did it
1: come... we were, you... were going out on us together at the same time, roughly around that period. I was, and, of course, I, I, I sort of got to the stage where I couldn't write anymore mm-hmm. because I wasn't used to it mm-hmm. and I was having to work hard to, to come up, you know, to, to do it. And in the end, I, I threw the pen down. I said to my wife, I said, I'm not, I'm not going on with this. I can't do anymore. I I got, I got four scripts to write in four weeks, or something like that. It was ludicrous, yeah. and I didn't get much sympathy from anybody at the headquarters at the head television. Because know, oh, you'll be all right, Eric, and all. Because it wasn't so. No. My cries for help were ignored, and in the end, I just threw the pen down. Right. And I wasn't, you see, uh, and they what they did. <laughs> They went to Len and said, "We'll bring other writers in," and Len said, "No." He saved my career at a very right. early stage. Yeah, he said, "No, I've got Eric. I, I like Eric scripts. I want to do them, but I'm not doing other people's." Right. And I know they would have done that to me. So it, they they
0: gave him some holiday money and sent them away for a month. And yeah, <laughs> it's interesting because it feels like. It feels like it took the star of the show to intervene on behalf of the writer. And I think sometimes now, writers have a nostalgic view that in the old days, writers were much more important. And that, and well, I wouldn't say that. But but actually, it feels like, you know, you were saying that this is actually unworkable, and they were saying, no, 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 you'll be all right. Was like, no, really it isn't... was, I
1: mean, they just went to, I mean, I, I kept saying, I'm not going to get it done, but the the... I didn't get much reaction from anybody until, of course, I stopped.
0: Mm.
1: And then the first thing they asked my agent was when I... Because I just couldn't do it mm. physically. Mm. said, so, is it the money? Is it <laughs> the money? I thought, it, it was the money in a way because I was having to work so much for yes, it. Yes, yes, that's right. You would have said no <laughs> to one if it was... But they thought it, I, I was just going on strike until the paper That's very home. interesting. Yeah.
0: Um, where did the... So, uh, the Squirrels is a, is a more of a workplace sitcom. Yeah, isn't well, it was. It's
1: based on my office experience. So
0: that's where it almost directly comes from that, as opposed to what yeah, you saw right, in a paper yeah. for. Um, and I think just going back to what we were saying before, when I come across um, younger writers, especially writers in their twenties who want to write sitcoms, my unhelpful advice to them is usually be older. Um, because I think it's very hard to write different voices within a situation comedy yeah. in your early twenties when yeah. you don't necessarily have as much experience. In I know what you mean. Everything. Yeah, I know what you
1: mean. I felt. I remember the first time that my scripts were taken up. I, I said to myself, "Well, I'm not an intellectual. <laughs> <laughs> I sort of felt outgunned education wise, you know, yeah. because that's another interesting thing is that. The universities have taken over comedy. I mean, the, most of the writers now come from university, mm-hmm. so you get the intellectual aspect. When I started, the directors came from... They were bandsmen, trumpet players. That's interesting. People that had worked in sound, mm-hmm. you know, people that had come up through the shop floor. Yeah. And they were directors. And uh, Duncan Wood, I mean, he didn't have any background like that, and Ronnie Baxter didn't, and... Um, no, we I don't. I don't think there was one university man on any of the shows at all. Okay. So you had a working class humour, yeah. you know, which is pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. got Simpson, and actually, and actually, pretty universal. Yeah, absolutely. it works on. It doesn't require. Because, you don't need A levels to. That's right. To understand but it. now, now it's very interesting that that that, that, that the, 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 these uh, intellectual references that Python did and people like that. Uh, philosophers and mm. classists and Ibsen and mm. little jokes about them and that appealed to the middle classes mm. and appeal yeah. to people who had a better education. Yeah. So uh, they, that sort of comedy was... Um,
0: yes, well, nobody it was Python. Even at the time, nobody the... watched Python, did they? They were very small audiences. Yeah, they were intellectuals letting their hair down.
1: Yeah. Which, uh, yeah. you know, everybody thought was great. and people I went to see um, Spamalot. Yes. The And there was a group there that were hooked on the jokes that were played 20 years before, that were introduced into the... Yeah. And I thought, it's almost like
0: one-upmanship, like, this is our crowd, you know? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, I can understand that. Um, Because another sort of working hypothesis I've had is, uh, because I'm a big fan of the 8.30 BBC One ITV mainstream sitcom, and it seems to be that's the hardest one to get. Oh, it is indeed. I think... What you're saying, though, chimes to the fact that the other source of comedy um, of the mainstream has been through entertaining the troops. I see what you mean. And, but- yeah. and Butlins and the-, the band leaders thing is what made me think of it. Yeah. So Perry and Croft and all of those shows that came out of, um, out of that sort of stable yeah. are all heavily informed, I think, by... Entertaining the troops, so hot them, yeah, and entertaining people at holiday camps. That's right. Um, <laughs> Which makes it sound a bit broad, but
1: sometimes some good humour comes from there. Well, know?
0: yeah, because it's again, it's universal, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't, it doesn't yeah. think it's. It's timing. Good, right? It's. I mean, how many undergraduates
1: make good inside forwards? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's timing, and you've got it or you haven't got it. When, when people talk about teaching comedy, it's almost impossible because. You've got to time them. When I started writing scripts, I could get one good line, or two or three good lines in my mind. I thought, these are good. I had to wait to use them. Mm. And then they gave off other vibrations, and I could write other companies, But mainly three or four good lines to start with that were in there, nestling in there, and uh, to hit it at the right time mm. when you've got the maximum... Don't waste it on the first two lines, mm. and the maximum impact. And from that, I developed line you know the whole sequences uh, but usually started off with one
0: or two good observations yeah i you know. was interested i read something about how you especially again early on having written a play you then realized you had to write episodes and episodes and episodes yeah, and how uh you you learned that a couple of things got laughs no one actually said anything or done anything yeah oh well, yes and how that was a learning curve for you absolutely, in terms of, yeah, absolutely. How, how can you just explain a bit more about that what you meant by that well, a situa- it's a situation, isn't it? I mean, someone's
1: trying to impress someone and going to do something and you can imagine something going wrong and gradually that would build, you know. I mean, I can't, it's hard for me to say now how that developed, but it was um,
0: it was just mm. one of those things. I guess it's an accumulation as well, isn't it? Because once people know a show yeah i would say that you get your yeah. your first your, your first series every episode is almost like a pilot you can't really assume that people have seen it before no, but actually true. by series 3 of rising damp i'm just picturing uh, sort of watching it and thinking i can i can picture rigsby walking into their into their room standing there hovering saying nothing yeah I know and I, mean. I can hear the audience tittering
1: yeah the inherited laughter which you've got because, uh, oh, here he comes, you know what he's going to do. Yeah. the recognition laughter. and It's like in the old days of West End, they'd come on and they'd clap the actor coming yeah. on you before he said anything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I knew with Rising Damp, I mean, I knew the scripts would work with him. And I, when they told me they got Leonard Roster, I, I knew, mm. I knew we were onto a winner. But that would be a winner for me. The, the, we didn't have to get the audiences. I mean, we could go into a pub, I could go in with Len, and no one would have known us.
0: Hmm.
1: Not after a couple of shows, we
0: were known everywhere. And hmm. would you like a table by the window? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's an interesting thing. Some, um, it did occur to me that, um, as far as the very modern era is concerned, it appears that every new show is under intense scrutiny. Yeah. Even though it's only being, you know, BBC One sitcoms, only being watched by four or five million people. Yeah. Quite. And. uh and an episode of Rising Dam by series three or four might have been being watched by 16, 18 million people. I remember when I saw Len, I think it was the
1: first show, and I was writing the prejudice bit, which I didn't particularly want to do, but Duncan Wood said, Eric, that black boy works, and you know, you're gonna get the prejudice thing. Mm. You know, you've got to have that reaction by Len and all mm. this, so I got it. And he came on when he first been introduced, or Len, Don had arrived. Mm. I think that was it. And he came in and he gave the the boy, um the Richard Beggs, a, a world weary look. <laughs> and it was so and then fell about. Yeah. He hadn't said a word. He's Yeah. yeah. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, if he can do that, yeah. and I'm I haven't written anything yeah. yet,
0: we're on to a good It's thing. amazing. But um but going back but in terms of it it's I, I wonder if you felt it's interesting that you were saying that you felt the pressure as your career went on and that you had something to live up to. It would seem that now, if you're writing a show that's getting 18 million viewers, you would feel under incredible pressure. But because there were so many sitcoms on at that point and television was, I I I wonder if it felt like there was more, there were bigger audiences, but somehow slightly less pressure.
1: Does it it feel like that? When I started, I think I'm right in saying there were seven sitcoms in the top 20. Seven sitcoms in the top 20. When I finish, you can get one in the top thirty, mm. and that's the difference. Fashions change. Mm. Uh, just as a short story and review went out, so sitcom went out. As regards a major yeah. winner, you know, I mean, it's important still, but yeah. not in the way it was. Yeah. I mean, they always said got oh, two or three decent
0: sitcoms. Every company said that, yeah. you know, sort of thing. I yeah, because if you look in Broadcast Magazine and you look at the top one hundred rated programs of the previous week. You might get two sitcoms maximum. You probably will only get one. The,
1: ITV particularly lost faith in the genre. They found they could make more, sell, get more viewers with Australian soaps, which weren't particularly good, no. but they could get without spending the money.
0: Yeah.
1: Why well, have a sitcom when you could get more people watching the soap? Yeah. And that the soaps were nothing in my day suddenly became very important. Audiences grew, grew more patient. They can watch crime shows now where it takes half an hour for anybody to get out of the car. Yeah. <laughs> you know? and, and they sit there patiently watching them. I yeah. oh, watched one the last night. I mean... Nothing happens. Think, nothing's happening. Yeah. And nobody's saying anything. Yeah, yeah. It's all film. And, yeah. uh, you yeah. think, But
0: people sit and watch them. Yeah. And so if they do that and they pay their money... Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. I wonder if what um, you're, you're saying about ITV has completely... Uh, lost faith in comedy uh, they they periodically say they haven't um, and full disclosure I have a comedy in development with ITV um, at the moment um, but they certainly didn't make much comedy for about 20 years uh, for the for a 20 year period yeah after Fiddler's 3 um, there was the, you know the, they had um, this, they had a New Statesman was was a huge show uh, mm-hmm. for them and obviously Spitting Image which is a slightly different yeah. case but it feels like they stopped making much comedy. Yeah. Um, and I, and you think it is just because you thought other comedies, other forms of entertainment are just cheaper. We'll just do that. There was no real commitment. There's lots of things. There's so many factors. Like they lost that federal energy as well. Right. When the ITV took over all the
1: companies and became one. Mm. In the old days, you could send these scripts to one, and then to another, and to a third. Now just once yeah. and I think all that that federal energy we had at Yorkshire yeah. in Leeds which is now a place where they just do um,
0: Emmerdale Farm yeah, uh, Emmerdale is not farm yes. anymore <laughs> Don't want to exclude people by saying farm <laughs> um, it's a, it, it is a really interesting system that, that operated and I think it is something that we haven't quite still recovered from because although I'm thinking well, if I had an idea for a script, I could take it to the BBC, but I could also take it to, to 15 independent production companies. Yeah. But as far as ITV are concerned, ITV are either going to buy it or they're not, and they'll like, yeah, broadcast right. it or yeah. they won't. Whereas Yorkshire TV could buy a sitcom, they could make it, and they could broadcast it, yeah. and it wouldn't be networked, necessarily. It wouldn't have to be networked. They used to go in, because uh, it was Paul Fox in those
1: days, uh, they'd bang the table and say, I want my show on networked. Yeah, And they'd all put in their six, three and say, yeah, I want my show network," and you'd win a battle. Mm. And the the good ones would be done. I mean, I went out London weekend quite often, and yeah.
0: that sort of thing. And people went with the flow. Sort yeah. of thing. So it wasn't unusual, though, to write a sitcom. I mean, I think all of yours were networked, is that right? Oh, yes. 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 But it was possible to write shows which... Which were only on I don't think we ever did that
1: i don't I, I honestly think that everything was made to, for network right. i mean I don't think a company could afford to make shows that were just local right you
0: know, that would be too expensive, although they could probably pilot something would they would they make a pilot with their own money, or would they be asking for i t v for money no i, I think it was
1: they made it with their own money, I mean yeah. the companies were rich in those days, well yeah. Thatcher got hold of them right. <laughs> they were rich,
0: yeah uh because well, it seems it's... to me cuz now uh, even very even actually possibly even richer independent production companies they'd never make a studio audience pilot with their own money <laughs> i mean it just wouldn't well when i went to the yeah when i
1: went to america there there, there was a there was a monopolist bill you know i mean yeah. anti monopoly yeah, in other words they didn't allow the studios to make shows or not many mm. and so they all these private companies came out at, i was in los angeles working for one and they they made shows, and they were financially covered by the studio, but the studio didn't make them. Right. Studio wasn't allowed to because they said they were monopolistic. Yeah. You know what I mean? They they control the whole network. Yeah. So the three big companies, uh, ABC, NBC, yeah, and CBS. I've forgotten the names. Yes. The three big companies had to employ studios. I was with Taft, and they were a private company, and they made their money out of out of the minor, uh, what do they call it? Uh, I've forgotten that for a word now. They sold them on to the small companies. As oh, a syndication. Yes. Syndication. Yeah. Syndication.
0: So once you've got 65 episodes or 110 or something. Yeah, they made their money from yeah, that. Yeah. And that, so did the writers. Yeah.
1: And I know when I had a show on, <laughs> a guy rang me up from, I like, said, What it feel like to be rich?
0: I thought, I'm not rich. I don't know who's
1: making the money, but it's
0: not me. You yeah. Know, that sort of thing. Um, so you you went over there to do, um, was it the American version of Home to Roost? Man That's it, you've got it, Jack Clubman. Yeah. Yes. Um, so that never quite made enough to be syndicated, is that right? Or It didn't. We did two series, yeah. which is more than most people do. Yes, um, because things get cancelled after three yeah, episodes. Yeah, it was it? just, I don't
1: think they quite got to it. I mean, they used my scripts. Mm. I didn't get much for them, but they used my scripts. Uh, 10 of them at least in the first series, and um, and it took off, mm. but not enough. Mm. And in the end, I think after the second series, it was canceled.
0: Yeah, what did you, how, how much time did you spend in America? Was that, did you do other things there apart from that? Oh no, I was, I, I was a homeboy. I've got things going here,
1: I'm mm. still writing here, so I didn't want to be there too long. I was there a few weeks. I okay, mean. and just, yeah, out of politeness? On, on your part and their part? Or? Well, they liked my scripts. Yeah. And they, they would be nice to me because they wanted my scripts. Uh, but they sacked the head writer <laughs> in front of me. Really? Yeah. I mean, I realised <laughs> what a cut-throat <laughs> cut thing it was when Jack yeah. Clubman was talking to the head writer. who Well, I'd, he'd started before I got there. And that he'd looked at the scripts and he didn't like them. And they he were talking. He said, "Well, I'm sorry. We, you know, that we, you're not going to be working for us anymore." Sort of thing. And the other guy was accepting it, and that was it. He was out, out the door. Yeah. And um, so that was, the, no, that was and, then, and then they brought they brought other writers in. I yeah. mean, that's how ruthless it was. Mm. That's, you know, one of those things. I never quite and you see, I kept saying, look. You know, I'm not a rewrite man, you know. Yeah. I'm not going to sit there throwing jokes at each other. Yeah. I do it and I, that's it, yeah. you know. Yeah. I, I wasn't quite in tune with their style.
0: Yeah. No, it can be... Yeah, it is it's an interesting... It's Again, that's not so much the modern way in terms of we're sort of endlessly changing things right up until uh, the last minute. Do they um, do that now? Yeah, <laughs> yes, I think so, yeah. yeah I mean, I, I no, don't know your experience. Having said that, um, I don't know how... Because at the moment, you've got people who are my age or younger writing stuff, and our expectation is that you're, A, there's an awful lot more shot on set, sorry, on on location, so a lot of single-camera stuff. And so you can get multiple takes of stuff, and you can try things different ways. We never went out of the studio. Yeah. Um, We we
1: had, the, the lighting cameraman loved me because I wrote long scenes. Mm. You see, I was you've got to remember, I was a frustrated stage playwright mm. yeah. and that's what I s- continued to do in yeah. shorter scenes yeah. but that's what I was doing. No one noticed or guessed that's what I was doing except they began to realise that we didn't move anywhere. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, I think that's a really interesting point because uh, long scenes are, are something which I think in general people are very frightened of. Oh, so is Jack unless yeah. you're, uh, Unless you're um, from... A from a theatrical tradition but from a comedy p- p- tradition with a long scene you're building energy in a room and the moment the scene's over that energy's gone yeah and you've got to start you've got to build it again
1: well yeah i, I when i wrote i wrote in pages seven pages mm. moving the story along the first seven pages would be the development scenes of what we we're going to do mm. the second seven would be doing it but not in a dramatic way. And then the third seven, which would be the second half, would be a real climactic point, Mm. you know, big curtain raisins, curtain lines, and then the payoff at the end. So I, I, I didn't consciously sort of set it all out there, but that's how it worked.
0: And you can hear the rest of that interview next time. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, find us on Facebook and like us and you can tweet at us as well i'm at sitcom and uh, davis at co and dave and you can buy our books and generally um get involved as much as you like ask us some questions that we can talk about in future podcasts that would be really good you can email us um on gmail at uh sitcom at gmail.com okay uh, speak to you next time bye bye